Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Nobody likes to fail, especially in Singapore, especially failing in a great task under the watchful eyes of many people. Here was such a great task to swim in open, shark-infested waters of the Pacific Ocean from Catalina Island to the Californian coast, a distance of 26 miles or 42 kilometers. It's literally swimming a marathon. For comparison, the Johor Straits that separates Singapore from Johor Bahru is only 1.6 to 5 kilometers at its widest. That was a great task Florence Chadwick attempted to do on the 4th of July, 1952. Just two years earlier, she had swam the fastest time across the English Channel, a distance of 21 miles in just 13 hours and 23 minutes. Then the following year, she swam the English Channel again in both directions, from England to France and then back to England in 16 hours and 22 minutes. That's incredible. So on the 4th of July that year, she attempted this great task, flanked by small boats that watched for sharks and to help her if she got hurt or grew tired. After swimming for more than 15 grueling hours, a thick fog set in. It was so thick, no one could see what's ahead. Blinded by the fog, Florence began to doubt her abilities. Later, she would tell her mother, who was in one of the boats, that at that point, she did not think she would make it. She pressed on bravely, however, for one more hour before asking to be pulled out, unable to see the coastline. As she sat in the boat, she discovered to her horror, she had stopped swimming just one mile away from the coast. She was so, so close. It was a great task, and finishing well is exceedingly hard. I can't imagine swimming for more than half an hour in a swimming pool. Here was someone swimming for over 16 hours in open waters. God has also given us a great task. And this year, a COVID fog has settled over our land, indeed over the whole world. How are we to accomplish that great task in the midst of such fog? As we come to a close of Mark's Gospel, and also a close of this year, I believe God has a word for us. He's calling us to finish well. So before we start our swim into this message, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pause at this last Sunday of 2020. It has been an incredible year, an incredibly difficult year. We thank you that you have not left us nor forsaken us. Yet in the fog, we find it hard to see through it. Would you grant us eyes of faith, not merely to see through the fog, but to see you. You are here with us in the fog. We commit this time to you, minister by your Holy Spirit to all who hear these words. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning and welcome to Covenant's Pulpit. Wow, we are on our last Sunday for 2020. What a ride it has been. 2020 will go down for many as a turning point. All our lives have been disrupted to varying degrees. At the time of this recording, over 75 million people have been infected with the virus 
and over 1.6 million people have died. And these are just official numbers. Others have lost their jobs, families displaced, lives disrupted. It's been a long, hard year. Like Florence Chadwick, a fog has settled over our lives. The future is unclear and uncertain. Many of us feel fatigued, anxious and lost. We're not sure if we will make it. What is God's word to us as we come to a close of this year? In the midst of the storm and the fog, I believe God has a word for us this morning. He tells us He is here and He will help us finish 2020 well. This morning's passage is taken from the closing work of Mark's Gospel from Mark 16, verse 9 to 20. This is an interesting passage. In our modern translations, you will see these words after Mark 16, verse 8. And it reads something to this effect. Some of the earliest manuscripts do not include 16, 9 to 20. To understand what this means is to understand a bit about how our modern Bibles came to us. You see, the earliest New Testament writings were recorded on material made from reeds by the river Nile. They are called papyri. These, however, lack the modern paper processing methods, and so they degrade over time. They are, after all, organic material. So if people wanted to preserve any writings, they had to hand copy them over and over again. They did not have photocopy machines in those days. The bad news is that we do not have the original writings anymore due to this decay. The great news is that we have over 23,000 copies of both the Greek and non-Greek manuscripts for us to piece together what the original was. Now, because of the hand copying, there will be occasional miscopying. The majority of these are minor. However, on two occasions in the New Testament, there seems to be longer additions. In today's text, the ending of Gospel of Mark is one such situation. The earliest manuscripts we have suggest that originally Mark's Gospel ended with Mark 16, verse 8. In other words, we are sure that these words were from the Gospel writer Mark himself. But what are we to make of the other 12 verses from verse 9 to 20? Let's begin by seeing how Mark's Gospel ends. In verse 8, it reads, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Why would Mark's gospel, his glorious gospel, end in such an incongruous way? Everyone ran away in fear. We don't really know. Some scholars speculate that there were other words after verse 8. Now, because of the nature of the papyri and how they tend to fall apart, it is most probably that this closing or ending words were torn off and lost. I think that's the reason why the gospel ended so abruptly. The final segment got torn off and lost. And perhaps that's what led the early church to add in verses 9 to 20. Because it does not befit the ending of such a glorious gospel. This is how we see these words today. The early church added these words to remind us that our lives should not end in fear. We can finish better. While we do not see these as scriptures, the fact that they are preserved for us in other manuscripts tell us that they do contain value. We can indeed learn from them as how the early church felt about how the gospel should end. That's why I've entitled this morning's message, Finishing Well. What does it take to finish well? It takes two things. First, it takes faith, and second, it takes passing it on. Finishing well means 
we believe afresh. Will you trust? Finishing well means passing it on. Will you obey? Let's look at the first. Finishing well means believing afresh. Will you trust? Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Mark's Gospel and the last chapter, verse 16? And I'll read from verse 9 all the way to verse 14. Allow me to read this to us. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. Verse 12, After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Verse 14, Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. What's the primary message of these first six verses? It has to do with unbelief. Jesus appears to Mary. She goes and tells the disciples, but they would not believe. Then Jesus appeared to two others of his disciples. This is probably the Emmaus Road incident in Luke 24. And the disciples did not believe them. And finally, when Jesus appears to them, he rebukes them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart. And what does he tell them? You do not believe. What does it tell us then? To finish well, we need to believe. We need that faith. There are at least two lessons from this text concerning faith. First lesson, our faith need not be foolish. Some people think that faith is blind and therefore it's foolish. We have before us two accounts that tell us our faith in the resurrection need not be blind. Indeed, it is very reasonable. How so? In all four gospel accounts, our resurrected Lord chose to appear to women first. This is one sure way to know that the resurrection accounts were not fixed. You see, in the ancient world, the testimony of women were not considered reliable because they fell into the same category as children. It's like having a case in the high court today where the only witness of the murder was a three-year-old child. So if the early church wanted to concoct a resurrection story, they would certainly have made men to be the first witnesses. Having women as the first witnesses was clearly an embarrassment to the early church. Then secondly, it's fascinating that the disciples did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Indeed, they were rebuked for their unbelief. You see, some say that the resurrection appearances of Jesus were wish fulfillment. The disciples were hallucinating. This account flies in the face of all who says it was hallucinating. We do not hallucinate against our wishes. Furthermore, it's another embarrassment to the early church that our founding fathers did not believe in the resurrection, at least not in the beginning. If one were concocting a story, it would be that the disciples would be full of faith. Quite the opposite from what we see here, isn't it? These factors point us to the truthfulness of the accounts before us and thus also to the reasonableness of our faith. When God calls you and I to believe, it is not blind faith. There must be some evidence that lead us in that direction. So too in our current pandemic, the hot topic is not whether we'll take the vaccine. All of us will want to take the vaccine. The question is, which vaccine will you choose? And there's no perfect vaccine. 
But no one is going to take a vaccine that does not at least have some proven track record. That's what all these multi-trials are for, to give us some confidence that the vaccine we choose is protective to some degree. We must have some evidence to lead us to a particular vaccine. Likewise, these accounts lead us to faith that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. What God calls us to believe is not unreasonable. Yes, it seems incredible, but it is not unreasonable. As Sherlock Holmes, or should I say Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, says this, when you've eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. The faith that God calls us to is not foolish. Indeed, it is a reasonable. The second understanding we can have of faith is that our failure need not be final. While our faith is reasonable, it is not easy. The disciples had been with Jesus for maybe three years or more. He had told them repeatedly that the Son of Man would be killed and after three days to rise again. They had seen their master heal the sick, cast out demon, perform miracles like stilling the storm and feeding 5,000 people. You would assume it's easy for them to believe in the resurrection. Yet they struggled to believe. As a matter of fact, this passage tells us that they failed and they failed miserably. If it's tough for them, how much more would that be for you and I? I share this because sometimes we assume it's easy to believe. Uh. The truth is that faith must be developed and faith must be grown. You see, friends, faith is like living tissue. It's alive, like muscle, for example. So recently, I saw a friend, a doctor friend of mine, for some discomfort in my epigastrium. When he examined me, he, he looked at me and says, Hey, Kai, you have lost muscle mass in your shoulders and your arms. I said, yes, I do look sarcopenic in my upper body. That's a nice way to say that my arms are becoming skinnier. That's because while I do jog for aerobic fitness, I have not been paying attention to my upper arm muscles. My arms are weaker now because I've not been training them with weights. Likewise, our faith has to be exercised to grow. One of the challenges of faith in our modern world is this. We can live very well by ourselves, thank you. If I have a fever, I take Panadol. If I'm hungry, I go down to the hawker centre or go to NTUC for groceries. Modern conveniences and peacetimes are not bad. It's just that the opportunity for us to exercise faith becomes less. That's why perhaps right now is a good time to grow our faith. We do not learn to sail our ships in the harbour, but like Florence Chadwick, it must be trained in open waters. So what is the COVID pandemic doing? It is both testing us and training us at the same time. How did you do this year? I've been a believer for 35 years. I wish to tell you I had passed with flying colours, full of faith in God. The opposite is quite true. I found myself anxious, fearful, uncertain about the future. Our platform of church leadership in our centres were taken away overnight as our Sunday services closed. Our contact with church members and colleagues were curtailed during the circuit breaker. Like many of us, I felt isolated, I felt alone, disoriented and discouraged. My faith was tested many times and I failed many times. So while the year has been bad, I believe I've gotten a better picture of my own faith. I'm not as strong as I thought I was. Doing where our faith stand is necessary. For Singaporean men, it's like taking our annual IPPT or Individual Physical Proficiency Test. 
You may think you get gold this year, but on the actual test day, you barely pass. How about your faith IPPT this year? I suspect many, like myself, found ourselves failing to believe, much like the disciples. But here's the good news. Finishing well does not mean no failures. Florence Chadwick failed in her first attempt to swim from the Catalina Island to the Californian coast. But two months later, she attempted the crossing again. And guess what? The same thick fog set in. But this time, she remembered what happened previously. Instead, in her mind, she saw through the fog to the finishing line, to the Californian coast. And this time, she finished well. Florence could not see the coastline because of the fog, but she had the faith it was there. Likewise, in the fog, we may not see God, but we have experienced the faithfulness of God in the past. We have tasted of His goodness. He is still there, even though we may not see Him. He's calling us to trust Him afresh today. Would you trust God afresh this morning? How do you do that? For some, it might be as simple as going back to church on site. Now, please understand, I'm not the sentimental kind which believe that, oh, church is better than home. I believe wherever God is, we can worship Him. After all, we are to be a disciple 24-7, 365. Yet an unintended consequence of church at home is that boundaries have been blurred and we may become too familiar with the sacred there is a place to set aside space for the sacred, of course, with safe distancing measures in place. Making that extra effort to go to church, being in the sanctuary with other believers, worshipping with them, is just different. That's how we are created. Now, many of you have come back to church on site. And those that I've spoken to who have come back to church on site, they have told me how different that experience had been and they kept coming back. They wanted it. They needed it. Let me encourage the rest who have yet to come back. Book a ticket. Come to church on site. That may be a simple way for you to start a fresh faith journey with Jesus. To finish well, it takes faith. Would you trust Him afresh this morning? Secondly, to finish well means passing it on. Will you obey? For that, let's finish reading Mark 16, the last six verses from verse 15 all the way to 20. And this is what it says in Mark 16, verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. We can see three things in these final six Verses. Number one, God does not give up on His children. You know, when the Lord appeared and rebuked His disciples, not just for their unbelief, but for the hardness of their heart, He did not say, you lousy bunch of good-for-nothings, since you have so little faith and your hearts are so hardened, I give up on you. You're no longer useful for the kingdom. The good news is that failure is not final. We've seen that. Instead of condemnation, 
Jesus commissioned them afresh. That's what many of us need to hear this morning. Some of you may indeed feel like you're a failure this year, in the midst of the fog, in the midst of the storm. You have not stood up well in your faith. This is God's word for you. He does not give up on you. He does not give up on me. In the midst of our failure, He still chooses to use us if we will obey. He is not done with us yet. Friends, don't give up on yourself. Get up. God has a great task for all of us. The second thing we can learn is that God provides the necessary resources. Five signs are mentioned that would accompany the proclamation of the gospel. Casting out demons, speaking in tongues, picking up serpents and not being hurt, drinking poison and not being hurt, and the healing of the sick. The reality is that all these, except for one, was recorded for us in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we see exorcism and healing uh, in Acts 19. We see the speaking in tongues in Acts chapter 2. The serpent over Paul's hand in Acts 28. Now, we do have one recorded incident outside of the New Testament, recorded by the church historian Eusebius, concerning one disciple, Justus Basabas, the disciple not chosen, who apparently drank poison without harm. So at least historically, all these events have taken place. Now, I know what you are thinking in your mind. Pastor, does it still apply today? I believe they still do to the degree that God allows for it. In the same way that God still allows for miraculous healings. The late Singaporean missionary doctor, Dr. Andrew Ng, reported several cases of miraculous healing without medicine or surgery while he was in Niger. God still heals today. But does he do so every time? No. As sovereign Lord, he knows what is best for his children and there are times he decides otherwise. It is not miracle on demand. So if handling snakes or drinking poison are used merely as a show, then it is not blessed of God. I believe this situation is similar to Mark 13 verse 11, which reads, And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Friends, in other words, God will grant the appropriate resources in the time of our need. So for example, when the snake did not harm the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 28, it opened the hearts of the natives in Malta to the gospel. God will provide appropriately as he deems fit. But most importantly, it tells us God does not give up on us. It tells us God will provide the resources. But more importantly, we must respond aright to God. It says the disciples went and they preached everywhere. Yes, they failed initially. And I'm sure they continue to stumble along the way, just like all of us. But they did one thing right. They took the Lord's commission seriously. They had been given a great task and they continued to obey. They passed it on. They went out and preached everywhere. And friends, because they did, and also countless generations of faithful men and women, you and I are here today, saved by that same faith. We are the result of a long, long, long chain of unbroken faith and obedience. God invites us today to that great unbroken chain of faith and to pass it on. That's our great task. Friends, it's easy in the midst of the storm and the fog to think only of ourselves. You know, the best time to demonstrate 
the reality of the gospel actually is right now in the storm and in the fog. I'm deeply grateful for many covenantals who have taken this obedience seriously. We are grateful for the many who have helped out in our Christmas celebrations for the migrant workers at our Woodland Centre over the Christmas season. Then the countless numbers of you who have invited pre-believing friends over to home for Christmas to simply love your friends with a meal and to deepen life together. And the many families who have pledged towards Walk for Nation to bond the families together and to give to the work of missions. You're simply obeying the Lord's command. You're passing it on. You're finishing well. Well done. What about the rest of us? How are you and I to finish well by passing it on? So friends, to finish well, God invites us to trust Him afresh this morning and secondly, to pass it on. I started this morning's message with a lady swimmer. Allow me to end this morning's message with a male runner. Derek Redman was 27 years old when he represented the United Kingdom in the men's 400 meters in the 1992 Olympic Games in Barcelona. He had held the British record for the 400 meters and had won gold medals in the 4x400 men's relay in the World Championships. And he was in good form at the Barcelona Olympics. He posted the fastest time of the first round and went on to win his quarterfinal. Now the scene shifts to the semi-finals. At the sound of the gun, boom! Derek bolted off the starting block towards the finishing line. But about 150 meters into the race, the unthinkable happened. His right hamstring muscle snapped. He was seen falling into the track in great pain. There he sat in excruciating pain, knowing that his hopes for the gold medal was gone. But he wanted to cross the finish line. So courageously, he stood up and did his best to hobble and limp the remaining 250 meters. He was obviously in great pain. In the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the fog, a figure ran up to him from the crowd, put his arm around Derek. It was his father. He had run past the security and was there to support his son. Together, father and son completed the lap on the track with Derek leaning on his father's shoulder for support. As they crossed the finishing line, the 65,000 crowd in the stadium, they rose and they gave them a standing ovation. Together, they had crossed the finishing line. Friends, so often we think of finishing well, we mean finishing well by ourselves. Yes, we must believe ourselves. Yes, we must obey ourselves. But we must never forget we are not alone. And that's what the final verse in Mark 16 verse 20 means. It reads this, And they went out and preached everywhere. It doesn't end with a full stop. It says, While the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. While the Lord worked with them and confirmed their message. Friends, we are not alone in our pain and in our confusion. In the fog, God is right there with us. And this morning, he calls us to finish well with Him together. Let's finish 2020 well with our God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You, You will never leave us nor forsake us. We acknowledge our failures to trust You in the storm. We ask for forgiveness. 
we thank you that we can start afresh to trust you afresh. For those of you this morning who want to do just that, right now, would you pray this prayer in your heart? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you do not abandon me, nor do you give up on me. I make that choice to trust you afresh right now. Help me to grow, to really know you more, and to trust you more. Grant me that grace for the great task of passing on the faith. For I ask this in Jesus' name. Allow me to pray for us who have prayed that prayer. Dear Lord, please answer the prayers of all those who have prayed as we come to a close in 2020. Would you pour your Holy Spirit afresh over these, your children, and fill them once more with faith that is alive and that comes alive daily in all that they do. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. And came the morning that sealed the We're so glad you can join us this morning. For those of you who like prayer or to know more about how you can grow in your faith, would you scan this QR code shown here? Now, here are two reflection questions for ourselves. First, share some ways your faith was challenged this year in the midst of the storm. Two, what does it mean for you to trust God afresh today? And take some time to commit that to the Lord as we come to a close of 2020. 
allow me to close us with a benediction. May the good, good God, whom we choose to trust afresh this day, bless your hearts with fresh, abounding and abundant faith to trust Him. May He bless you and keep you from all harm. May He make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May He lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace as we close this year and begin the new. For we ask this in the glorious name of His Son, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Lord bless you. Let's finish 2020 well. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892-6811 or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.